Welcome to episode one. Uh, I have called this Too Tired to Care because I feel like um, I'm going to explain the name of the podcast, which is Follow Me. And But in that, it actually really sets up, I think, where we are as, as a culture and what we're up against. Because I think if we can just get a good picture of what we're up against, then we will end with some practical solutions for what we can do and how we can live our lives growing in our faith and also like sharing our lights for Christ. When I was asking the Lord for the name for this podcast, and I was trying to be a little clever, you know, because I would like to be. Um, I, I just, this popped into my mind, this concept of follow me. And I, I was like, I know that's in the Bible. <laughs> like, I know Jesus said to like, you know, his disciples follow me. But I also know Paul, I think, said it. And so when I tracked it down in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, Paul was saying, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And honestly, initially I was like, that's like super arrogant to assume that I am living my life well enough that I could say to anyone, imitate me as I imitate Christ. That's a tall order. However, as I started to dig into the passage and what I want to share today, it's actually so relevant who Paul was speaking to the Corinthian church, the time that he was living in and what he was charging the church with is so relevant to the time that we're living in. And I honestly believe that we all together can come to a place where we can say to our family, our children, our neighbors, our friends, our coworkers, hey, follow me and we're all going to follow Christ together. So that is the goal for today. Uh, okay, wait, Troy, I got off track. You got to say it. <laughs> that was that was my introduction. And then I'm making Troy be really corny because I think I'm funny. Okay, this is ahead. my announcer coming out. The Follow Me podcast with Diana Koku is recorded in front of a live Facebook audience. <laughs> oh, anybody old enough to remember that, right? Okay, well done, Troy. I like that. I'm assuming that most of you have not met my friend Troy. So we used to work at our church together. And Troy was the other side of my brain that God didn't give me <laughs> so that I could be like big picture and like, just like, I just like to start a lot of new things and like make things happen. Um, but Troy was like the picture of consistency, thinking ahead, maintaining things and anticipating. Um, and I just thought it was so funny, Troy, that when I was announcing in my stories that we were going to do this live recording, I was like, join us at 7 p.m. And then in the title, I put, see you at 8 p.m. Central. And you messaged me and you're like, um, Diana, <laughs> yeah. uh, we need to double check your time there. Yeah. So um, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 1 to set all of this up. But who was the Corinthian church? The Corinthians were like Corinth was the Las Vegas, basically, of Paul's time. And a Corinthian woman was actually like a slang term for a prostitute. And so this was a place for loose living. It was a place where foreigners actually came to engage with Corinthian women. It was part of their economy. And it was, uh, there was a lot of Greek influence. And so from a Greek, Greek perspective, they really didn't care about Christianity. They didn't care about their religion. They had enough gods to go around and they were kind of enjoying all of their debauchery. And so this was the setting for the Corinthian church. So Paul had gone there, established it. They were excited. Uh, but then he started getting news 
that things were going off the rails a little bit. And so he's actually writing what would be a difficult letter to bring correction to the church. Some had fallen into adultery. Some had uh, fallen into alcohol abuse and different things. And so this letter was going to be written in love to help bring correction to the church. And so when we look at the Corinthian church, ideally, they were bringing influence to the world around them. But unfortunately, the world seemed to be having a lot more influence on them. And again, this is where I feel like we can resonate with the day and time that we're living in. You know, I think, I don't know, I sometimes feel like really nostalgic for the good old days when all television programs were filmed in front of a live studio audience and they were wholesome and and you didn't have to worry about all these weird values. And so it's easy to think, oh, it used to be so much better or people used to be so much more normal or government used to be so much more effective or, and I'm not going to go there, but really when I read the Bible, especially in the New Testament, I actually take a lot of comfort knowing that all of the things we experience as humans have been happening for all of time, that people are people, but most importantly, the world is the world. And so we can actually expect that people who don't have Jesus as their compass or as their truth are going to behave this way. And so if we can kind of like get our head around that, it doesn't make it okay because obviously any of this kind of destructive behavior leads to pain and brokenness. It's not going to be effective in life. So it's not good. But at the same time, I think that helps us to stay out of judgment. If we can say, okay, that's the world being the world, but really the church is responsible for the moral fabric of culture. It's us. Like we get, if we don't like what we're seeing in government, in entertainment, in schools, which I think there's a lot to be worried about, then it's up to us. Like we get to help turn the tide as a church. And that's what, what Paul is saying here. And what I love about Paul's approach, if we look at first Corinthians one, uh, one through three, um, He says, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you count how many times I just said God? It's 10. In the first three verses of his letter, he says God 10 different times because he is saying, look, this is not me, Paul, getting on you. I want you to understand that we all submit to God, that we all are looking to honor and glorify him. And that is the name of the game here. And so you can see like right from the very beginning, he's like, let's try to bring some unity and some understanding. And then we see something else. It's Paul is speaking to the church of God. And he's not just saying, hey, Church of Corinth, hey, Church of the United States, hey, Church of Australia. He's calling it the Church of God. And we are reminded that we are one big, happy family. So it's not even just us on our own in our own little community church or online church or whatever it might be right now, but we all together are one big Church of God. And then it's calling us as individual Christians. He's saying we are God's dedicated people. 
And in Greek, there's the word hagios, and it's translated as saints. And I don't know, I have a friend um, who's older, and he's like a really strong Christian, and he would say, hi, Saint Diana. (laughs) And it would sound so corny. (laughs) But he was trying to remind me of my identity, like this is who you are. And hagios means a person belonging to God. Like you are his craftsmanship you are his ownership you're free but you're a slave to him like he is your lord and it also has the picture of being set apart and when i was thinking about this and troy this is what i'm really curious about because when i was in high school i graduated in 2001 letterman's jackets were still cool I was so excited to let her in soccer. I was like this close my my sophomore year, but my junior year of high school, I lettered in soccer and then hockey. And so I got my leather jacket. I got the patches on the side. I had the year that I graduated and then I got some bars underneath and I was like, thought I was so cool. Were letterman jackets cool when you were in school? They were, but I never was able to get one. Uh, no, okay. yeah, they were. So I know like, I feel like as time has gone on, they're maybe not as cool or coveted as they no, used to be. No, I don't think so either. Uh, in fact, in the comments, okay, Troy, let me know what everybody says as I go into why I think this kind of relates to what we're <laughs> talking about right now. This is the picture that I got. Like, we are on the team. We are set apart. Like, when I walked down the halls, or actually what was really fun, when we would have these, like, big hockey bags with all of our equipment, and we would walk into the other team's arena. And we all had our jackets on and our bags and everything. Like, I felt so cool. And and so when we become a Christian, when we make Jesus the Savior and Lord of our life, we put on that jacket and we're like, you know what? We're the cool kids. We are the ones that have the hope. We have the light. We have the answers. And we are on the team. And we're together. And because I think often we feel so isolated in this or we feel defeated or behind or like we're not doing enough. And so for us to just take a moment right now to take that imagery and be like, you know what? I'm on the team. Cap, you can be captain. If you want to be captain, I think only I would like to be captain. Not everybody would like that. So, all right, Troy, what's the consensus? Uh, Letter jackets? Yeah. I mean, Melissa says she wore hers and still has it. So and says she graduated way before we did. I have mine. It still smells like fresh leather. Okay. <laughs> you know, oh, it was a big great. deal. It was a big deal. <laughs> that's awesome. Okay. So the next part of this, and, and it continues on. I have a little bit more to build on this. In 1 Corinthians 4 through 9, Paul says, I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him, you have been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Yes. Okay. So there's a couple of things happening here. There's the promise which came true. When Paul preached Christianity to the Corinthians, he told them that Christ could do certain things for them. And now he proudly claims that all that he pledged that Christ could do has come true. He's like, you guys, I know you've been messing around a little bit, but he is still the same. He is still doing everything that he promised to do. And then he talks about the gift which has been given. And he uses one of his favorite words, which which is charisma. 
And there's twofold meaning for the gift here, because a gift is anything that is freely given to man. Again, and the first gift is our salvation. We have done nothing to earn it. We've done nothing to earn it. And so we receive freely the charisma gift of our salvation in Jesus Christ. But then there's the second kind of charisma gift from God. And that's whatever unique and special gifts that he gives to us. And so it could be the gift of speech and communication, the gift of healing, the gift of music or art, uh, craftsman's gifts with his hands. All of these are gifts from God. So right now, if you're listening, think about this in your mind. If you're online, uh, chat and tell Troy, what do you feel like the gift is that God has given to you? And I feel, I think sometimes we feel shy or boastful about this, but like, hey, you're on the team, okay? We just need to know what position you're going to play. So in the chat, tell us. What is it? And if you're if you're listening, you know, think about like what are the things that come natural to me? What are the things that get me fired up? What are the things that people have commented like, "Hey, you're really good at that." Or when you do it, you succeed. Like those are some of the ways to identify your gifts, and they don't always have to be like super spiritual. Like I'm a worship leader or I'm an intercessor. Like Paul is saying or this commentary is saying, maybe it's the gift of working with your hands. Maybe it's the gift of wisdom and discernment or thinking strategically. So, Troy, what are you seeing happening in the chat? Uh, Connie, hospitality, Rebecca, empathy, Debbie, service, Ariane, service. Troy, Troy, what's yours? Mine is teaching. I love to teach. Like, give me some content. Let me write a little bit. Let me get in front of people. Let me teach it. Something practical. If they can't walk away with something, then I didn't teach it well. That's why I invited Troy on. This is going to be so fun. This is just the beginning. (laughs) Okay. So you have your lettersman jacket. You're on the team, right? So now it's like, okay, what patch is it? You know, like, uh, yeah, for me, teaching communication, man, I just enjoy it so much. And so hospitality, service. And again, I think if we can take that imagery, imagery and just like, remind ourselves like this was given to me like this is something i should be proud of and this was given to me as a gift for the glory of god who's the hardest person on your list to shop for your mom your sister your aunt your friend trades of hope offers beautiful handcrafted jewelry bags and home goods from artisans around the world and each purchase helps women break the cycle of poverty and trafficking keep children out of orphanages and send underprivileged girls to school and right now you'll receive a free gift with your purchase of 75 dollars or more shop the link in my show notes and thank you for your support of this podcast and women around the world when you shop trades of hope and then here's our main passage. This is 1 Corinthians 10, verses 23 through 33. I'm going to skip around and summarize a little bit, and then we're going to end on our, our key passage here. Paul said, I have the right, well, he's quoting. He said, I have the right to do anything you guys say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. Uh, no one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Eat anything sold in the market. And this is where we're going to get into some kind of unique cultural things that probably we don't bump into so much today. Eat anything sold in the market without raising questions of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you. But if they say to you, hey, this was offered to a sacrifice, then don't eat it because do it for the sake of them and their conscience. 
So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God. Even as I try to please everyone in every way, I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. And then here's our key passage. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And so in all of this, why I think it's so relevant to us today, he's actually speaking about us demonstrating the Christian life and showing love to three different people groups. So Paul insisted that a Corinthian Christian and all of us be a good example to the Jews. Even to his enemies, a man must be example of the Christian life, forgiveness, light, and love. Second, us and the Corinthian Christian has a duty to the Greeks. That is to say he had to show a good example to those who were quite indifferent to Christianity. And I think it's easy for us to imagine who those people might be in our lives right now, who maybe they're not even antagonistic towards you, but they're just actually apathetic toward faith. And, and through our example, so many people have been won through Christ by our, the way that we live our lives. And then the Christian has a duty to his fellow church member. It is the plain fact of life that somebody takes the cue for his conduct from everyone else. How we conduct ourselves is what is going to set the tone for the people around us. And the important thing here is that in this Everything we do is for the glory of God. And so how we conduct ourselves with people that we're not necessarily in good relationship with, how we conduct ourselves toward people who are just apathetic toward us and just aren't walking with the Lord or toward our family and the church all has to be to the glory of God. And where this applies to too tired to care where this applies to too tired to care is that I think a lot of us, because we are stretched thin, we feel like I can't possibly go out of my way to love my enemy right now and to try to make amends or, or please them or anything like that. It's easier to ghost them. If someone hurts my feelings and I'm not happy with how that went, it's easier to ghost them. Uh, to people who are apathetic, you know what? If you can't just like respond a little or show like a little bit of interest. I don't have the energy right now to go out of my way to help you. Or in the church, I, I didn't like the way you talked to me. I didn't like what you inferred about my whatever, what I said in our small group. I don't like that didn't make me feel good. Or, hey, I thought we were friends. And then now I asked you to pray for me and then you didn't respond to me. And it, it can be so difficult because so many of us are stretched thin. So let's go to the poll so do you often feel stretched thin, weary, or behind? 43% of us said all the time. Wow. 47% of us said sometimes, and 10% said not at all. And so this is over 100, looks like about 120 people um, participated in this. So 80, 90% of us say, like, sometimes or all the time, I feel stretched thin, weary, or behind. And I... I, I I would venture that that's a pretty good reflection of where many of us are at, especially I know a lot of us are women. Thanks for hanging out with us, Troy. And it feels like we wear 1,000 hats. I've been teaching Adley that 1,000 is 1,000, but 1,000 <laughs> different roles and things that we have to remember. And like you remember to buy XYZ, but then it runs out again and you have to actually buy it again and wash the laundry again and keep up with school and jobs and everything like that. And so I feel like a lot of us feel 
like obviously 90% of us feel pretty stretched in. And so this is where we're going to start as we come kind of toward the end of this conversation for today is we're going to talk about how to unstretch. (laughs) What would be that word? Like, (laughs) uh, you know, put it in the dryer and get the shape back to it. You know, that kind of thing. (laughs) And so I want to mention the concept of compassion fatigue. Because the other thing that's happening just with, we have our normal demands of life. We also have too much access to media, news, and tragedy. And so it used to be that compassion fatigue was only like referenced or seen in workers who are caring for people, counselors, nurses, emergency room doctors, um, maybe active duty people who are in really stressful situations. And so compassion fatigue, the term was coined and it can occur from a single event or from constant interaction. The emotional residue or strain of exposure to working with those suffering from the consequences of traumatic events, but it's characterized as by a manifestation of emotional numbness. And I remember one time last fall, a friend came up to me at church, more of an acquaintance, and she was having a difficult time. She thought that she was maybe going to be losing her job. And so she was looking for like references and trying to kind of um, get her feelers out there and get her resume ready. And she was very stressed out about what the financial consequences of this would be. And I remember looking at her and I could just all of a sudden, like my eyes, it's like they were glazed over. And I was like, oh my goodness. I don't care. And it wasn't like, I was just like, I don't care. I was like, oh no. And I was like, this is terrible. My, my heart feels numb toward this right now. Like this, like she was almost in tears and I was just like, I'm so sorry. I, you know, I'm so sorry. I'll, yeah, let me see what I can do. And this is what happens to us. And I think actually a lot of us are closer to this threshold than we might think. And we start to then numbness or distancing ourselves is the only way that we can actually handle all of that pressure or all of the stress of the world that we have access to. And again, I feel like this is well-documented, you know, now with phones and media and social media, I actually don't watch the news, read the news or anything like that. It finds me. It finds me on social media. I'll see a post about something X, Y, Z. It finds me. My husband will tell me things that are happening. And I need to know what's happening in the world, of course, but we are inundated inundated and we are not made to handle the pressure and the stress and the worries of the whole entire world i i like to read historical fiction to fall asleep at night and the one that i'm reading right now is during the gold rush time and they're out in colorado so it would take multiple days for a newspaper like from new york to get you know train and all that kind of stuff out to colorado but i feel like that is the actual speed of life like Things don't actually typically change overnight. We might learn about it overnight, but political crises, national events, things happening with people groups, these have typically been happening over long periods of time. But what happens when we're taking in news media and other media, it's all flashing in our face, it's all urgent, and it's all the same, and it's all very scary and bad. And our brains were not made to handle that. And so many of us are living, okay, let me read to you some of the other like symptoms of compassion fatigue. Difficulty concentrating or making decisions, mood swings, especially toward irritability or anger, feelings of hopelessness, 
symptoms of depression or anxiety, social, social withdrawal or self-isolation, and even physical symptoms like headaches or upset stomach. And so I think some of us can, again, relate to that. It's easy for hopelessness to settle in when we're taking in too much news media. Okay, enough of the gloom and doom. All right. Let's, what can we do? So I mentioned John Eldridge's book, Get Your Life Back. I think this is a great resource filled with lots of practical information about like just things we can do. Like we have control. This is the new era. Our kids are growing up and never knew life without mobile devices and without social media. And so this is the new frontier. And so we get to pioneer, we get to learn the lessons, we get to figure out the tools and the ways to navigate, and we get to be ambassadors on the team in our Letterman jackets for Christ. And so one of the most important things that John Eldridge talks about is the one minute pause. And in that he has a mantra where he says, I give everyone and everything to you, God. And sometimes you have to be more specific. Sometimes you have to say, I give my aging mother and her health to you, God. I give my son who seems to be making really poor decisions to you, God. I give this work situation and the fear I have about losing my job to you, God. I give this, maybe it's just something more pedestrian. I give this work project to you. I give this podcast and my internet connectivity to you, God, you know, and, and in that, I don't know, can you feel like the weight lifting off of your shoulders? Because Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary, and I will give you rest. We are actually invited into an unburdened life. It is so impossible for us to imagine that there is actually someone who cares so much about us that he said, you can give it all to me. Every single one of those concerns, the worry that you have for the world and the world that your children or grandchildren are growing up in, you can give that to me. I can handle it. And that project that you're like not able to problem solve, you're not getting the right solution. It's taking a lot longer than possible. Give it to me, you know, and, and your, your physical health, you don't know what's going on. You have these symptoms. They're not lining up. You're Googling, you're trying to go to different doctors, like practice wisdom, but give that to me. And it's like one of the greatest gifts that we have as Christians, that we are invited into an unburdened life, but we don't know how to take advantage of it. You know, and so this one minute pause, I think is so brilliant to say, I give everyone and everything to you, God. The second one, and I'm actively working on this, is a tech Sabbath. So some people will do like, from Friday night to Saturday night, they'll do all of Saturday and Sunday, um, where they, no devices, turn off the phone, turn off the computer, uh, no text messaging, anything like that. The phones go in the drawer and we are off the clock. So most of us need some way to like, at least make plans, you know, or like, cook, you know, like, Hey, we're going to meet for dinner at five o'clock and just check in. So what the tip is, you could either get like a flip phone on your current carrier. If you don't have a home phone, which I'm assuming most of us don't, I don't, which is, this is what I'm looking into is getting just like a flip phone. And so then they just use that phone number for the weekends and give it to their family and friends, but you can't surf on it. You can't go on news, Facebook, anything like that. Or you can get what's called a gab phone, which is a phone that a lot of people get for their kids because it doesn't have apps, cameras, internet, anything like that. That's a separate carrier. Um, but if you have kids that are going to need a phone that they can take with them sometimes anyways, then you could use this gab phone and then use that for the weekends. And again, give out that phone number. It kind of becomes your landline. 
we just switched carriers and so i am like we're having some spotty coverage so anyway i'm trying to make sure we're going to stay on this plan and i'm getting a flip phone nice phone and sunday saturday and sunday if you want to get a hold of us call the landline call the landline or drive to my house i I would love that drive to my house okay so I, i would love to hear in the chat if you've tried any of these things what your favorite tip is uh what's working for you to kind of just like separate yourself a little bit from the world uh i love reading paper books at night rather than reading on my phone candlelight and uh, like fire is really good for you at night it really releases natural melatonin it's hard it's hard to remove yourself from all of the flashing screen it we're we're trained we're hardwired but that's my encouragement to you all right what's everybody saying troy any good tips somebody's about to read how to break up with your phone sounds like a good book that's a good i haven't read that one uh i haven't no um, somebody, Melissa says, I only read paper books, nothing on the phone. What do you do, Troy? How do you kind of separate yourself? A uh, two weeks ago, I just started a half hour before bed, putting my phone in all electronics in the kitchen. And now I just have a regular digital clock next to my bed. Yeah. yeah. How's it going? Really good. I only failed once and then I don't use it for the first half hour that I'm up either. It's really okay. helpful. What do you do when you wake up in the morning? Like just I I think. read. I take my dog outside, yeah. feed him. Yeah. Like it actually gives me space to think and process and actually wake up. Because sometimes exactly <laughs> yeah. Okay, so here's what I would like to do. I would like to end with everybody sharing something practical that you might implement here moving forward to help get our bandwidth back to help get our margin back, to help us get off, you know, 43% of us said we always or almost always feel hurried, rushed behind, stretched thin. And so what is one practical thing that you can implement that would help to get some of that margin back, some of that ability to care, you know, to be, I mean, to just be kind and gentle with yourself. Like we're actually kind of the ones like running ourselves ragged you know no one is actually making us mostly i have little kids they wake up in the night like that's real but like mostly we get to determine what we say yes to what we say no to but we're but when everybody around us is running at breakneck speed it just becomes so natural and so what would be one thing that you could do here and implement to get some margin back and so then next week our next episode we are going to talk about too lonely to lead And we're going to talk about how this lack of capacity and the speed that we're living our lives has basically disintegrated our relationships. And it's tough. It's tough out there. It's tough in here. And so we're going to talk about what's happening to our relationships, but how we can get them back again for the glory of God. So I am going to end in prayer. I want to say thank you so much for joining us. If you've been on the live inaugural Facebook feed, uh, or if you're joining us afterwards, I, I'm just so grateful. I love being on this journey with you. Please share. If you're watching on YouTube, share in the comments some of these things because we all learn from each other. There are things that I would never think of. And then it's like, that's fantastic. And so please share in the comments. Uh, You can always email Diana at DianaKoku.com if you're listening to the podcast or that'll be in the show notes. Hey, Troy, will you help me put that in the show notes? (laughs) (laughs) We need need show notes, Troy. (laughs) All right, I'm going to (laughs) pray. So, Father, we just thank you 
Thank you, Lord God, that we are one global church under God, that you are in charge, that you are good and you are trustworthy. And thank you, Father, that we are on the team. Lord, that we are part of one big church family, Father, and that we have been gifted. Each one of us has been given a gift to use for your glory, for goodness, and to share your love with others. And so, Father, I pray, would you help us to get margin back in our lives? Father, would you show us practical steps that we can take to help preserve our mental and emotional capacity, to preserve our physical health, and to be good to ourselves? Father, would you help us? Would you show us? Would you lead us? Would you walk with us during this time? Lord, that we might get good at it, that we could get good at navigating this new and complex world, that we would lead others and our families and our children well, and most of all, that we would shine your light brightly. So I bless each one of us now in Jesus' name. Amen.